the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com, or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Thanks for joining us, everyone. This is Soapy Dollar. My daughter Stacy is here at my side. <laughs> and we are ready to discuss the... Book, uh, I've got to hit a button here real quick. Give me a second. <laughs> the there we go. <laughs> we are ready to discuss the book of Ezekiel. That's where we are this uh, this coming week. In fact, in fact, probably for the next, maybe this coming week and maybe uh, the next week as well, we will be in the book of Ezekiel, which means uh, God's, God is strong or God's strength. Uh, the strength of God is found in the book of Ezekiel, uh, written, and we'll go into back who by whom it was written. Uh, this prophet named Ezekiel, we'll tell you a little bit about him. He's a very interesting person, no doubt about it, and I hope that you will uh, be intrigued by this one. He's an artist. He's a young person, by the way. For all of our younger listeners, for once you're not listening to an old gray-haired prophet, you got a, a hip 22-year-old, he, he's going to be uh, talking to us. So we'll talk about him and let you know all about uh, the book of Ezekiel as we enter into that uh, this evening. Now, I do want to mention to folks, if you're hearing the Bible live tonight, this is our program dedicated to where we get a chance to, this is where we get a chance to comment on the Bible. We make our way through the entire Bible, every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, every year. So uh, we are uh, coming to this time, we, at this time of every year, we are in the book of Ezekiel. But I do want you to know that we also read through the entire Bible. Uh, we don't do that now any longer, um, and since 2001 we've been doing this. And uh, we don't read that now uh, on the air, but we give, there is a website, the Bible Live website, thebiblelive.com. Go there. And you'll find the the entire Bible. There are 15 to 20 minute Bible readings, reading all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation uh, every year. So uh, you can always find our readings and we hope that you'll go Monday through Friday. Uh, go to the website. 
read the readings for that week. The, the calendar is there, our reading schedule. Or you can follow your own reading schedule as well. Uh, but the idea is that we read through the Scriptures together. You can do that. Uh, 15 to 20 minute Bible reading. Uh, a flawless, beautiful reading by yours truly. Uh, and I'm not being boastful there, the, folks. It is a flawless reading, though, because of the power of editing. We can uh, we can get out the hums and the hers and the, and the mispronunciations. And, and it's a beautiful, flawless reading of the New Living Translation. And you can hear 15 to 20 minute reading every weekday. And then on the weekends, we get a chance to go back. These are the passages that we read this last week. We read uh, in our Wisdom and Worship segment, we read the Psalms and the Proverbs. And we, we have been in the longest psalm of the Bible. The longest psalm of the uh, 176 verses. It's Psalm 119, uh, written by... Uh, Thought to be written, and, and we believe it, it's it's uh, very, very likely written by Ezra, who, uh, who wrote, uh, he, he was that scribe that helped return to uh, Israel from the exile over in Babylon. Ezra is there, and, and Ezra wrote this beautiful psalm. Uh, and almost every verse of Psalm 119 has a reference to God's word. Uh, it uses the phrase God's word. It uses the, the words commands, the commandments of God, the laws of God, the principles of God, the precepts, the decrees, the promises, all the different um, uh, synonyms and words that are used to talk about God's words. Almost every, almost every verse has a reference to the beauty and power of God's word, which was a great passion and a great love uh, of Ezra. Uh, God's word was so precious. He taught it. He helped the people to understand it. Uh, and so that's what we have been in. Psalm 119, we read verses 65 through 144 this past week. And, uh, of course, one of those I remember, oh, there's so many. Uh, Psalm 119, 11, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 105, how will a young man... Um, Keep his life clear and plain before the Lord by by taking heed to your word. Uh, oh, so many verses that just have to do with the power and the promise of God's word. Mm-hmm. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, light to my path. I remember that one as well. Um, Stacy's shaking her head. She, we all remember those. Those are beautiful verses to help us to remember the power and importance of God's word. This book that we have, my dear friends... This book, the Bible, of course, it's not just one book in in, in, in a smaller sense. It's 66 different books written over a period of about 1,500 years by about 40 different authors. But in a greater sense, yes, it is one book, one continual narrative of God revealing himself to men and women, revealing uh, himself, his nature, his purpose for creating us, the truth about us as human beings, our purpose that he had for creating us, and uh, the the record of his involvement. God acted. God spoke into time and space to human beings, and he revealed himself, his plan for us, and he made a way for human beings, sinful, fallen, weak, fragile human beings, to be reconciled to him and to enjoy during this lifetime and on into eternity, enjoy a relationship, a friendship. We get to know this great creator of, of everything that exists. And we get to know him and walk with him and learn from him, learn about him. 
and, and uh, this incredible adventure of life is it principally all about that and extends on in to eternity. Now, Stacy had a thought about we were talking about the power of God's word and the beauty of God's word, and she said, "Oh, this is she." Uh, my daughter is. She's a little bit. She's not a snobby intellectual, but she's a little bit of an yeah, intellectual, yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. And she loves great literature, and so she said, "Oh, this I, reminds I me of not, a passage from." I am not intellectual. Is, I just admire other. <laughs> I am so much not. Oh, but you are more than you think you I, are. You, she said that reminds me of uh, Jane Eyre, and, and so first tell us a little bit about Jane Eyre. What the and, and then she had this passage that she read. That really was, really was quite beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. I guess when I think of the law, you know, when you're growing up, you tend to have, you mentioned the law, and it's kind of intimidating, and you tend to think of yourself as on the other side of it, or at least uh, you think of it as a New Year's resolution in a way, like, oh, you know, you, you could, and uh, there's a law. Yeah, the law is it's somehow just, seen as right, some well, harsh right. and strict, and right. that's and the, rule, the rules, right? Right, you see it as something that inevitably you're going to probably break. It's funny and, that this is in the newspaper of today, all of this burning and rioting and this well, sure. right against the law. Well, you know, right, and authority, and you kind of think yeah. of as a law um, almost as something meant to be broken, or you see it as almost a challenge, or you see it as something confrontational, I guess, and what is, of course, beautiful about Psalm, and I always uh, appreciated this, the, this love for the law, and yeah. I guess I, I have grown into that, but there's nothing that, I, I, it was in Jane Eyre, a passage from Jane Eyre that I think we can all relate to. Um, First, that, tell us a little bit, us, us, us uh, who don't well, know sure. Jane Eyre, okay, what Eyre. is that about? <laughs> Eyre. Jane Eyre. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, so Jane Eyre. Well, it's a it's a story, and uh, um, uh, Bronte. It's um, who, who wrote it? It's Bronte. It's uh, Charlotte. Is it Charlotte Bronte? I'm right? sorry, baby. Jane I don't know who wrote Jane Eyre. Me. Um, so Jane Jane Eyre, uh, and so everything. She's coming across a, a moment where there she might have an affair. So she falls in. She's been a, tempted to have an affair. She's been tempted to have an affair. Is the and there's all sorts of reasons when you read the book that you you could understand it. You could almost easily justify it because of the circumstances and the way things go, and so everything in her, you know, just emotionally and passionately wants to justify it and to do this. She loves him. He loves her. All this, and so and that is at that moment in this in the book. It's one of the most powerful parts I think of the book. Okay, I'm told to read slowly. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I will respect myself. And and this is in terms of women and kind of feminine. They tend to quote this as a women respect yourself kind of thing. But it's so much richer and deeper than that. She says, I will respect myself. I will keep the law given by God, sanctioned by man. I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. They are for such moments as this, when body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigor. Stringent are they, inviolate they shall be. If at my individual convenience I might break the law, what would be its worth? They have a worth, the laws have a worth, so I have always believed. And if I cannot believe it now, it is because I am quite insane. Quite insane with my veins running fire and my heart beating faster than I can count its throbs. Preconceived opinions, foregone determinations are all I have this hour to stand by. There I plant my foot. 
on the law. In other words, her hope, her greatest hope, her what when she is 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 the law. And how many times have we we been able to like I, I, everything in me, desire, emotion wants to do one thing, but I know and I knew back then before I was insane that the law was good and true and for my benefit. And if we can get past that hour, how many times have we looked back and said, Phew, thank you, Lord. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, <laughs> or, but, or, but, but often mm-hmm. the only way we come to learn the law is, 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 is realizing yes. and seeing that God's law is indeed. Uh, uh, in the psalmist, he compares, right. he compares God's word, uh, the laws of God, to honey. Uh-huh. He says uh, yeah. he loves God's commands more than he loves gold. And also, I I remember growing up, and in a way, too, aren't parents good parenting and parents similar to mom always used to, uh, you too, dad, I guess, but whenever you're young and, um, you know, uh, other kids would say, come and do this or we want you to do this and Mom would always say, Stacy, if you'd ever want to, you can always just say, no, my, my parents won't let me. My mom, you can lean on our authority as your parents to not do something that you would not. And I think it's that, that you feel pressured right, and tempted to do, right. but that you don't want to. Cor- yeah. Correct. And, and isn't that sweet? And hmm. that isn't in a way like God. He, he says, hey, if you don't just God, you can use me. Use me anytime as your parent. I can't do that. My my, the Bible says I I can't do that. I like that because also instinctively I think we know his word, his laws are written in our hearts. We know, and it's not because it's arbitrary. It's, oh, and he's now you're talking about God's people now. God's people, his word we is know. written in yeah, our hearts. Yeah, his laws are being right. written in our hearts, and it's not because he's authoritarian and it's arbitrary. It's because it truly is for our benefit. It is our it protection, is our blessing, our it benefit, is sustaining. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. that, I say that of course in a social sense, we've all been. Watching some of the effects of lawlessness, mm-hmm. you know, we see buildings burn and and windows broken out and looting, and mm-hmm. you know, we we we've been able to watch a little bit of that, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, in our own culture and society, apart from our own individual experiences of mm-hmm. temptation and so on. And, and slowly, I think we are. Uh, hopefully, we are like Ezra as as God's people. We are learning not only to respect, but to love God's laws. Right. And I think, too, the more that you understand and respect through kind of experiencing, you also have a humility for law. Oh, yeah. And, and we can also say, there go I. I, I mean, it, it is, oh, God, yeah. it, especially in that Jane Eyre moment, you know, who, it, it is, it is, God's word in my heart. It is Him that has saved me from from that. You, you know, so I think it also gives rise to a real humility when you understand. Oh yeah, there's always a, a brokenness connected to it. I mean, that's that's really the great miracle of our of our faith. Because we we all need a savior. Mm-hmm. We've all we broken all the laws. Broken We've the law. all done, <laughs> yeah. and 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 God has forgiven us and cleansed us through the redemptive work. The atoning work of Jesus, the mm-hmm. Messiah, and now by His Spirit, He is writing His laws on our mm-hmm. heart and our minds. Not just not just rules written up on a wall somewhere on stone, but right. He's writing them in our hearts and lives. So it's a beautiful thing. Maybe during this hour, if you'd like to call in, folks, I'd love to hear from some of our listeners. Two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. Two ten. 
340-9585. That's our calling line. We'll give you the number as often as we can remember to tell you about it. And one of the things I was thinking that you might want to call in about tonight is call in and give us give us a little bit of a, a life experience, a little bit of a maybe a little bit of a testimony uh, based on your own experience of one specific benefit, one positive effect that God's Word has had in your life. One benefit that you've experienced from the Bible. As, you, as you've grown up to know it and hear it, uh, th- this book is it's, it's an amazing, supernatural book. Yes, it's reliable, it's dependable, it's accurate, but beyond that, it is it is supernaturally sourced. It is God-breathed, and it has a great power. It's Book of Hebrews, which we just read last week, Hebrews four twelve. God's work is like a His word is like a two edged sword that pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, uh, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts and our lives. So maybe you'd like to give us a call tonight and talk a little bit about some specific benefit, one positive effect the Bible has had. In your life, if you'd like to give us a call anytime during the program with that, we'd love to hear from you. 210-340-9585. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, the book of Ezekiel in, as an, in an introductory sort of a way. Um, uh, I mentioned the name of his uh, his name in Hebrew means God's strength. Uh, Ezekiel was uh, from the Lineage. Uh, he, he was a, a young Jewish male in living in uh, the Promised Land in Israel. Uh, he is from the tribe of Levite. He is a priest. Him's the tribe of the priesthood. Uh, he's not the chief priest, the head, priest, but he, he is in the uh, uh, lineage of Levi, and the Levites were the priestly. Uh, uh, group of among the uh, Jewish tribes. Uh, he usually a Levite takes his. Uh, he begins his ministry at age thirty. Uh, is when he begins to get into the rotation, but before that happened, Levi. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Zach, uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel was taken in the exile when when uh, God was disciplining. The people of Israel, uh, they were being disciplined. They were being, uh, as a consequence of their disobedience to God, just as God had told them many hundreds of years repeatedly. And God had, had warned the people of Israel for specifically for a hundred years through Isaiah and Jeremiah before 586 B.C., when the armies of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon descended upon them for the third time. This was their third invasion. And they destroyed the temple, took all the temple furnishings, and and uh, took them to Babylon, and destroyed the city. Uh, not a, a stone was left undone, and and, and, uh, and there was a great slaughter of battle. You can read about it in the final chapters of the book of Jeremiah. You can read more of the which we covered last week. More of the details of what happened. It was a horrible, horrible time. But remember, we I think it is something to remember that the. The, the, we think of the slaughter and the loss of life as the great judgment, but the, but the great judgment was the removal of the people from their land. They lost their freedom. They lost their, uh, their, their, 
their comfort, their place uh, as a people, and the exile was the great uh, of the people was the great uh, central punishment. There were three invasions of Israel by Nebuchadnezzar, one in 605 B.C. At that time, they took over 3,000. 3,023 exiles were taken from, uh, from Israel over into Babylon. That would include Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, um, Mordecai, you know, uh, her uncle, as we think. Uh, many of those that we read about in, in, uh, uh, over in Babylon in, in, in later books, the book of Daniel and so on, they are taken in 605. Over 3,000 are taken in exile. Then uh, Nebuchadnezzar came back in 597 B.C., and they uh, took 832 uh, captives at that time back into Babylon. So that was just an eight years difference. So Daniel asked Mordecai. 597. Eight years right. later, he came, and that was when it was Ezekiel was taken okay. during the second invasion. So by that time, you have Daniel, Esther, Mordecai, Ezekiel, yep. all in Babylon. Yep. And so he goes, Ezekiel goes and joins them. Uh, He's not yet 30, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so he he comes to age 30 over in Babylon and begins his ministry Mm -hmm. there in Babylon. A young man. uh, He's an artist. He's a musician. He's an actor. Mm -hmm. uh, He uses a lot. He's a a lot of street theater mm-hmm. out on the streets. He he would act out certain of his things and share the visions that God gave him and the messages God gave him. And what would have been the – so at this point, there are about 4,000 Jews in Babylon. Yeah, uh, in total, the, the total – and these numbers are taken from the last uh, chapter of the book of Jeremiah. He gives a record of how many were taken, and the total is 4,600. Right. So, But at this point, there's about, well, 3,855. Yeah, okay. <laughs> to be precise. You're good at math. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> but, uh, so about how many would, would uh, Babylonians would there have been? Just so Babylonians? If, right. So how many, so if there are that many Jews How many Babylon, would have been, Babylonians would there have been for what? Doing what? That Ezekiel would have been... Preaching you know, to? Mm-hmm. Oh, we, we do not given a record of that. Okay. But of course, it, it, it is a good thing to remember that when the prophets of God speak, they're not, it's not, we, we always want to point out that the, uh, the people of Israel... W- w- we tend to think them as a national group or as an ethnic group, and yes, there is that element, but it was never limited to that. Mm-hmm. God's, God, those who believe in and trust in and uh, like like Ruth did and so on, uh, they are part of Israel. And so there could well have been Babylonian men and women who trusted God mm-hmm. through their witness in, in the true and living God. And that listened as well to the prophets, but uh, this is about. Well, uh, uh, I guess what we're talking about is that God judges His people, uh, and that's what the Book of Ezekiel is about. The Book of Ezekiel is an autobiographical book, somewhat like uh, well, all of the prophets, all of the books of the prophets, to they to some degree include some autobiographical understanding of what they were, where, what they did, where they were, how they did it, uh, some uh, some details of their life. Uh, Jonah is very, very clear. I mean, it tells about, it's all about Jonah, his life and what he did. His actual message is very short. In 40 days, 
Nineveh will be destroyed. <laughs> he had a seven or eight word message for them, <laughs> and that was about his only sermon that we have recorded. Um, but it mainly it was about him. So all of the prophets, to some degree, there's something about their life immersed. Now, Ezekiel uh, has a lot of that. He, there's a, it's almost autobiographical. He tells about what's going on in his life and where he is and what he's doing, how many people, what he did. Uh, you know, and like I said, his was street theater, so he describes some of his uh, performances to us as he delivers his message. Um, so that's the book of, of Ezekiel in, in its context. Uh, some put it, it's very interesting. Jeremiah is in, during this exile, people are taken out of their land, lost their freedom, lost their, uh, the, the, uh, a lot of the experience. Of what they understood is the nearness of God because they had attached the experience of God to being in Israel. Uh, being able to experience God's presence was a function of being there in Israel and at the temple of God. And, and it was so, a function of geography. Yeah, it was a function of geography, of location. And one of the first visions that Ezekiel gets, and we'll, we'll come back after our brief break here, one of the first visions that were recorded here in the book of Ezekiel has to do with God telling them, look, you can experience me. You can. I, I am everywhere present at all times, and you don't have to be... Um, in Israel to experience, or in the temple to experience my presence. I am here with you. You can repent. You can experience me, my love, my power, my all the benefits anywhere you are. And that's a wonderful truth for all of us. And we'll talk about that uh, particular vision when we come back after a, a quick break in just a moment. Let me see what would what would I say? Uh, one of the three great lessons of Ezekiel. One has to do with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is prefigured for us. He is, we are told very clearly uh, in these visions that uh, the idea that God is now, it's not just a bunch of rules, that he is writing his rules in our hearts by the work of his Spirit. And that's something that's fully realized and expressed and carried out in, in the Gospel, uh, uh, in the New Testament, when Messiah has come, then the, the Holy Spirit becomes present in us as his people. And then the seriousness of sin and the, that we are accountable for sin uh, is another great point. And then worship, worship of the true and living God. Now, in the later chapters, we're going to see Israel and the temple. A new temple is going to be described in the book of Ezekiel and with that great emphasis of how we can experience God and worship God in truth and in spirit, as Jesus told us in John chapter 4. Well, we'll come back in a moment, and we'd love to take your phone calls, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. We'd love to hear from you about what what the Bible has meant to your life, some specific positive effect that Bible has Dr. had for you. We'll be back. At Luke 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 
You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. back and uh, great music highlighting the God's word and here with Suzanne Stacy what you just what you what you just mentioned about how uh, an appreciation of God's laws and experiencing God's word brings sometimes a sense of brokenness and a humility that comes when we uh, hide ourselves mm-hmm. under the laws of God. And great, great, great music this evening coming back in. Well, we are talking about the book of Ezekiel. Our phone lines are open, 210-340-9585. In case you would like to call, we'll, we have some other things. You, anything you'd like to talk about, maybe you have specifically a comment from the book of Ezekiel about what's going on there in the, in the book, maybe something there, or maybe just an, another portion of Scripture or a verse of the Bible or some teaching that really has made an effect in your life. Uh, we were, we were think, talking about Psalm 119 earlier on in the program, and this, this longest psalm in the Bible written by Ezra in almost every verse celebrates or acknowledges the power, the beauty, uh, the blessing that it, God's Word is to us, his people. So if you'd like to give us a call and talk about that a little bit, we'd love to hear from you. 210-340-9585. So we've got, we know who Ezekiel is, this young preacher over in, uh, in uh, Babylon. He's a, a priest, but in chapter 1, verse 1, he started on the 31st day of my 30th year, uh, at age 30, when he was to start his ministry as, as a priest, he would begin normally, he would begin his rotation in, the, um, in Jerusalem at the temple, serving in the temple there. But he instead is, is called by God to, to have a function, a prophetic function, to preach to the people there in Babylon. So Ezekiel is in Babylon, uh, and he talks about being by the river uh, Kapur, uh, the, the, the Kebar River, I'm sorry. Uh, i got a map in front of me so you can kind of see uh, the Kebar River is, is a, uh, it runs off of the Euphrates. It's um, the Tigris, the Euphrates, and the, the Kebar is a little bit further to the south. And uh, he tells us where he is at the time, where the where this this um, group of Jews, over four thousand of them, that have been uh, taken over into Babylon. Evidently, there was a, a place where they uh, established themselves, or a place that they were given a place to to be, where they held they were held there uh, as prisoners in exile in Babylon. So he has this vision. The first vision he has in chapter one, verse. Uh, verse 3, he starts describing this vision. As I looked, I saw a great storm coming from the north. Um, and so he begins to describe this vision. He sees a, a huge cloud of lightning and thunder glowing uh, with it, a huge power, uh, a powerful presence coming from the north. And then it says that there were these beings, four living beings that were part of the vision. Of his vision, uh, evidently you might think of them as as angels, angelic beings, but they had four faces: uh, the face of a human, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. 
and each of these come and uh, manifest himself. He sees this vision, uh, and then he sees the, the wheels. As I looked at these beings, I saw four wheels touching the ground beside them, one wheel belonging to each. Uh, and we see this idea of the wheels within the wheels, and uh, you, you can read the uh, vision as it's described there. These are fantastic images uh, that we see, and, and yet there is uh, a message that we can get from them. That What would be that message to the people of Israel? Um, Stacy, give it a shot there. As you read through and studied through that passage, uh, the, this vision, this first vision that that Ezekiel shares with us, kind of what are you, the, these different faces for sure. one, and then and then the the wind and the and the, and, and the lightning, you know, you see some physical right. manifestations there. It kind of reminds me again of Job a little bit, um, as far as just a picture and an image of God's holiness, His mm-hmm. majesty, His power, power yeah. His worthiness. Um, and I and I think you know he is at a time um, where trying to discern. And when we talk about law, and that's all well and good once we have been convinced that God's law is law, capital L law. There is such thing though as bad laws that and it actually go against His law, but that might sort of mm-hmm. sound like or try to pretend to be. Good law. So, what, how does so that affect? Does, what do you think of this vision? Right. I guess it is this is God's demonstration of I am the Creator. I am the Law Maker. Mm-hmm. I am. It is under Me by which you have life and sustenance and mm-hmm. uh, and holy and and the the characteristic of that is holiness. Um, is a transcendence, a set apartness. Sure. God is otherness. He is totally unique in His ability and His. There's no other beside him or like him, yes. So good. I I think God's, in our era, in our time, this is a very good message as well because we see here a a declaration by God himself of, Mm -hmm. I am the God of nature. I am the God of the wind, the water, the storm, Mm -hmm. the lightning, uh, and the animal kingdom. He mentions here these these creatures that are stated there. And I think it's a really beautiful, um, you know, it's almost a little bit of a, a glimpse into how creation happened and occurred. Mm, I mean, mm. God's creativity in these animals and in his visions. And it, I mean, God is the wheel within the wheel. I mean, it's a little bit kind of bizarre in some oh. ways, but also mm-hmm. like. I, mean, I don't think is, it's stretching at all to think that that is a, a picture of an, an expression of revelation mm-hmm. of God's sovereignty, his omnipotence mm-hmm. over the, the, Powers of nature, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. weather. We're all yeah. worried about global warming and warming and all of this sort of thing. God, I am the God of nature. I am. I'm in charge of all of that. Mm-hmm. And then when you have the an, a, animal characteristics here, the human, the human face, and the animal mm-hmm. characteristics that His authority and sovereignty over the animal kingdom and, and uh, life in our existence here as well. Now the wheels. I, one of the things I think that brings us down to the nature of the people there, the, the Jewish people there that he's preaching to, is that obviously one of the things that they believe they've lost is, wow, and they grieve and they weep mm-hmm. because they're taken out of their land 
Israel that God had given them this land, the, the land that God had given them, and that they were separated now from the, the temple, this place where they learned to uh, God is presence is there mm-hmm. at the at the celebration. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember at the um, whenever they initially. Um, Dedicated the temple under Solomon, mm-hmm. God's presence came. The uh, what some people call the Shekinah glory, the glory of God came upon uh, the temple, and into, and people they they were used to experiencing God's presence there in the temple as they brought their sacrifices, as they meditated, as they mm-hmm. prayed there, and and so uh, so there was this attachment, and I, I'm sure that part of their sadness, part of their Grieving here as being taken from their land, not only their families and all, but spiritually that they were taken away from that source of inspiration and of mm-hmm. God's presence there. And I, I think, as uh, some have said to me, it makes a great argument too that this this vision had to do with God's letting them be aware of His omnipresence, mm-hmm. that I'm everywhere present at all time. You don't have to be back in Israel uh, or in the temple to experience my presence, mm-hmm. to experience me. And so there was this declaration that anywhere you are, I'm with you. You can worship me. You can experience uh, the comfort, the peace, the power yeah. that I offer right. anywhere you are. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it must have been, I think, probably a great message of hope uh, right. to well, them. Right. And I think that the temple, the temple not only – it only was a demonstration of his presence – after the process of purification. I mean, it also represented the space in which they believed they could be pure enough to then experience God's presence, which was the holiness. And I think that I, so it's attached to kind of a purification, and we kind of think, well, we can't be pure then apart and away from that geographic location. But it's him saying holiness has nothing to do with geographical locations. Rather, it's a condition of the heart. I've it's often your told heart people that's the temple. I've often told people as I share the message of the gospel with them. I remember, I remember specifically one young man that I met. I, I wish I could tell the whole story, but uh, I met a young businessman, uh, probably in his early thirties or mid thirties, uh, on the Riverwalk. Mm-hmm. And I remember we see, we sat on a bench there at the Riverwalk. Uh, I just sort of had met him. We began a conversation, and I introduced uh, the little Four Spiritual Laws booklet that, that mm-hmm. explains the gospel that we use quite a bit in our ministry. And so we sat on a bench there by the Riverwalk on a Saturday. Uh, people were going by up and down. Beautiful day. And I just briefly went through the, the simple gospel message, and he was ready he was ready to trust Christ. He, oh, I've been, uh, yeah, he, right there we bowed our heads together and on a bench there in the, in the middle of the city, he prayed to receive Christ. Uh, and I remember telling him, you know, we don't need to be in a church. We don't need to be uh, anywhere particular. Wherever your heart is, God, God is here. And, and if you're willing to receive him and trust in his uh, son Jesus as your Savior, you can begin that journey, your own relationship with God mm-hmm. right here. And he did. Uh, interestingly, right after that, we talked a bit because we had just, he had just come walking down the river walk. And uh, so we were talking after his prayer, and we were, I was giving him my phone number and inspiration, you know, to be able to just connect with him in the future to help him grow and all. And he said, Well, I want to tell you something very interesting. He said, I just came from the um, um from the church the uh, 
the word is not coming to my brain. I'm having a block. Uh, but the, there's the the big famous Catholic church the there. San Fernando. San Fernando. Thank you, dear. I couldn't, would not come I to my brain. Maybe, but he I said, I have just come from there. He said, I've had some, one, some difficult things in my life. Mm-hmm. And I just told God there, I said, God, if, if you can... If, if you can send somebody to help me, someone to tell me how I can know you, Aww. would you send someone? Yeah. And he was just coming out out of mm-hmm. the cathedral. He was walking down the river walk, and I, yeah, I got in a conversation with him, and we yeah. should. Well, and, and I thought, oh my yeah. goodness, yeah. <laughs> God is. Yeah, I sometimes think, yeah, we we forget that God yeah. is. It is not about. Us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Out. And and see, he the more we understand us. that, we understand that everywhere we are, yeah. and that's what God told the people of, of Israel about about the land of Israel. Every foot you place, you put your foot. You are, I'll be with you. So, uh, anyway, I think that's one of the great lessons that comes out of this this first vision that we have. From, that is interesting because we tend to think of that as a New Testament concept. Actually, uh-huh. I mean, we we tend to think of the Holy Spirit and as Jesus, you know, Jesus and the woman at the well, and that was a powerful moment where he says, "No, the temple is, is 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 here, you know, is you." Yes, and she says, "No more, you know, no more, no more temple, no more, no, none of the." Be-. And he says, "No, it's been fulfilled." Uh, but we tend to think of that. As, but here, here it is. You are the Ezekiel, temple of the Holy Spirit, right? right. And then we get that same kind of mm-hmm. message here, and that's that's really uh, not something you. I associate with the Old Testament. You remember Paul over in Corinth, this terrible, wicked, temptation-filled city of Corinth. All the difficulties that mm-hmm. God's people, that this this young little church, uh, the following uh, after God and trusting in Christ, and and, and he tells them, "You are you are the temple of the Holy Spirit." He reminds mm-hmm. them of this this very truth here that that God is with you wherever you are, mm-hmm. and of course we need that these days as well, so right here that, in our own right. in our own land with would all of the have, things going on. Would that have been a, a radical? Would that have been a pretty radical, hard thing for them to? Believe to would would Ezekiel have been something that they would would that have would they have felt that that was almost heretical kind of or, or no no I, this is they would have understood no, no, that and yeah it, it's this isn't the first revelation of that truth no. but this is a very dramatic revelation of it to them because I mean they're in there's right. they're seven hundred miles away from their right. homeland they're right. they've been. Captain, and I don't know how it's they're kind being of the first treated. Time they've been put to the test. Yeah, this, I don't know how they're exactly. being treated. Uh, they may not be being treated well, or mm-hmm. bad. I, we don't. I don't know that. But this very clearly was a need that they needed to hear the promise of God's uh, nearness to them, mm-hmm. even though they're away from their homeland and out of their uh, comfort zone. We might call it. Mm-hmm. God is there with them. Uh, that's the lesson that we as God's people today here in America and everywhere, of course, around the globe, we always need to know that uh, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present in every moment in his power, His the blessings, the, the potential. We we are his temple and that he is with us. So that's that had to be a great, great message for them. And then you get Ezekiel's call and commission is found there in chapter 2. Stand up, son of man. I want to speak with you. The Spirit came into me, and he spoke, and he set my feet, set me on my feet. He said, I am sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this very day. They are stubborn and hard-hearted people, but I am sending you to say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. 
and whether they listen or refuse to listen, for remember they are rebels, at least they will they will know they have had a prophet among them. And he says, um, I'm looking for the uh, the the phrase. It's used 65 times in this book. Mm-hmm. He says, "Then they will know that I am the Lord their God." Mm-hmm. Then they will know 65 times that that phrase. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Um, I think the first time as I'm looking in chap- maybe I'm a little early, chapter six, verse 14, uh, we see that that phrase used. The uh, Ezekiel tells them. They will know that I am the Lord when their dead lie scattered among their idols and altars on every hill and mountain and under every green tree and every great shade tree, the places where they offered sacrifices to their idols. I will crush them and make their cities desolate from the wilderness in the south uh, to Ribla in the north. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Now, remember now as we get into these opening chapters of the book of Ezekiel, Jerusalem has not been destroyed yet. Right. Uh, Ezekiel is over there with the exiles, right. preaching to them, uh, and we're going to see miraculously, incredibly, preaching to them essentially the same messages of warning and the message about the, God's judgment upon them and the and 70 years of exile and so on. He's preaching to them in exile the same message of the same sermons that Jeremiah, Jeremiah is preaching over in Israel. It, it, the coordination between the two is so fantastic. That's one of the things you want to look for when you read the book of Ezekiel. It, he has certain visions. God takes him in visions from Babylon, and he sees things going on in right. in Israel. And as it turns out, they really are going on, yeah. and they are things really happening. And so, it's like, uh, a, it's like Sauron. The message is it's amazing. Like, it's like the ball. It's like Sauron and Saruman. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I think God gave them cell phones. <laughs> Jeremiah and Ezekiel right. had two cell phones, and, <laughs> right. and they, they could coordinate. It sounds it like it because they were so coordinated, yeah. So uh, okay. let me mention one other thing, Stace, about these this image, four beings of, of Ezekiel's vision um, have faces like a human face, a lion's face, an ox face, and an eagle's face. Some have likened this very much to the four faces that we see of Jesus in the New Testament, the four images that we're given, um, as we've often said, Matthew speaks of uh, the focuses on Jesus, uh, the Messiah, the King of Israel, uh, which would be uh, the lion, the image of the lion. Uh, Mark speaks of Christ, Jesus, the servant, which would be the role of uh, the image of the ox uh, that serves uh, purposes and, uh, and, and assists. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Luke, of course, Dr. Luke, the only Greek writer in the New Testament, I mean, non Greek writer in the New Testament, he, being a physician, emphasizes the humanity, uh, the human nature of Jesus. And that, that's another of the faces a human, a lion, an ox, and of course, the eagle with its imagery of royalty, of, of deity. Uh, Jesus, the Messiah, as Son of God. So some have some have uh, thought that maybe hit in that in that uh, particular vision of Ezekiel. There's also a, and you've already mentioned that in a way it was predicting. Uh, it was uh, telling us, it was picturing the 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 messianic nature the, the, mm-hmm. of the the. the Ah, my words are not coming to the redemptive nature of God 
and the redemptive plan of God through the Messiah, who is uh, human, uh, a king, a servant, and son of God. So that's that's another little tidbit, a little nugget we can take yeah. out of that first vision of Ezekiel. You, I know you're dying to say something. You had something on your mind. Oh, there. I, I just think that's it's just so beautiful. It's just another way that uh, I think the, the the Bible and the artistry and mm. uh, I mean and, and I, I guess it reminds me. I mean, if I really want to, if C.S. Lewis and talking about the true myth. I mean, there's so much in Scripture that's similar to the greatest epics of our time, yeah. Lord of, of all time, uh, Beowulf, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, uh, and and I don't know. It doesn't get more. Uh, no, no. Yeah, every and, great drama, every yeah, great uh, and poetic. I, I was talking. And, I was thinking the other day about one of my favorite movie producers, uh, Clint Eastwood. How almost all of his movies, or a great number of them, have some kind of a redemptive element. Mm-hmm. Good and evil clarified, and, and there is a there's a redemptive moment, and uh, and of course all. Almost all great literature has that oh, we yeah. consider great literature has yeah. those elements in it, and that those are and echoes of this, this yeah. one. And <laughs> this you can, the... yes, and yet you can find, you can almost preach the gospel message out, out of some of the great stories uh, um, that have been told. Because you're right, the Bible is the great source of this great mystery, this great theater, this mm-hmm. great drama the divine drama that's taking place in the human race. Well, let's see here. We're moving on from chapters 1 and 2, the early chapters. Uh, now, remember I said that Ezekiel is a street preacher, right. very creative, a musician. He, and in chapter 6 there, we see uh, he, he ministers for 22 years, uh, from age 30 to 52, and he, um, in one place in chapter 4, he uses a brick as a sermon illustration. Don't you love sermon illustrations? <laughs> That's what I like about the kitty sermon. When you go to so many of our churches today, they'll have a moment when the pastor comes down and he sits down and the little children the come kid. up. I love those. T- because that's really the most understandable, usually the most understandable, clearest sermon the pastor gives. When he dumps it down to children's size, that's when I that's I, I understand it better. <laughs> yeah, it. But um, So Ezekiel uses a brick in chapter 4, verse 1. Maybe I'll put that question out on the air. What does the Ezekiel's... Use of a brick in chapter four of the book of Ezekiel. What does that the use of that brick symbolize? What is the the lesson of that? Um, if you'd like to give us a call and tell us what what you think that means or what you know that means, two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. And I'm still waiting for someone to call and give us a just one example. It doesn't have to be profound. You don't have to preach a sermon, but just one example of how. A verse, a chapter, an incident, a teaching of God's Word came to your rescue, that it made a difference in your life uh, in a given moment uh, in a positive way, a benefit or a blessing that you received. And, and our lives should be filled, I'm guessing, with maybe hundreds of these, something that we learn from God's Word. Uh, if you'd like to give us a call on that basis as well, the phone number again is 210 340 9585. Now, in chapter 4, after the example of the brick, Ezekiel lays on his left side for 390 days 
and on his right side for 40 days uh, to illustrate that Israel would be under Gentile control for how many years? Well, if you take 390 plus 40, that's 430 years. And if you uh, measure the time from 597 when Jehoiakim was taken into exile, the, the last king, well, Zedekiah was the last king, but Jeho- Jehoiakim was taken into exile on that second invasion mm-hmm. of, of Nebuchadnezzar, and they were then no longer under uh, under their own uh, law. That, that was when, when Babylon then began uh, to control the land and put in their own leaders and so on. And they remained under Gentile control until the year 167. If you add those years up, that's 430 years. That's another one of those amazing miracles of God's Word. Ezekiel predicts that they would be under the uh, Gentile control for 430 years. And that's exactly when the Maccabees rebelled and reestablished Jewish control over Israel in uh, 167 was when Israel once again came under their own control. Well, there's so much that we could talk about more, and we will we'll be here another one more segment. 210-340-9585 is our phone number. I hope you'll give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. 210-340-9585. Meanwhile, don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. We are back. You know, and I wanted to have a little talk with Jesus tonight. Yeah. I really did, uh, and I think maybe just take a moment. And I wanted to encourage folks to uh, to be much in prayer for our own nation these days. There's so much going on, so much chaos, so much confusion, so much. I mean, very tense. Uh, we're coming upon a presidential election, and of course, in this moment, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one of the members of the Supreme Court justices, dies, and and that leaves. A time of mourning and, and and on the part of many and and then of course the whole point of okay how do we replace a member of the Supreme Court and how do we do it how do we go about it in the in the middle of uh, of a presidential election period and so on this is a lot of yeah. it's going it's yeah. if we yeah. thought it could not get more tense it could not get more confusing could yeah. not get more. Um, Pressure filled. If we thought the rubber band couldn't be tightened up anymore, well, it just got that. In. And I think it would be great to take a moment and pray for our nation. As a reminder to you, our listeners as well, wherever you are in your car, don't close your eyes. Of course, <laughs> we're not talking about that. But wherever you are tonight, let's let's take a moment of prayer together. Wherever you are, would you just uh, lift your heart to the Lord uh, and and let's lift up a prayer. For our nation. Father, we do acknowledge you as our King, as our Lord. And even as we look at the book of Ezekiel, we know that you you are aware, you, you are with your people. 
you are with us and you are in us and you are uh, carrying out your perfect will uh, in in our lives and in our nation in our communities. So we ask you, Lord, that you would give us your the peace, the peace, this supernatural peace that passes all understanding, that you are indeed uh, sovereign, omnipotent God, that you are. Uh, as Ben Franklin said, that, uh, that you rule in the affairs of men and nations. And give us that comfort and that peace, Lord, even in these moments, so that we can be your people. There are many who maybe don't know you or don't know you as well, or and they, they're, they're experiencing stress and grief and, and confusion and fear. And, Lord, may we be instruments of peace. May we be instruments of hope as we point men and women faithfully to you, mm-hmm. to trust you, to know you, to experience you in their lives. And then we ask you to be sovereign, Lord, over our nation, even in these times of, of elections and choosing of new leaders, from uh, senators and representatives to the presidency and uh, this member of the uh, Supreme Court. Lord, we trust you and ask you that you would deal graciously and mercifully with us as a nation and that we as your people would be willing to repent and to humble ourselves under your hand and and return away from our sin and confess and repent of that sin that in our lives individually and as 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 a people so that you can keep your promise to hear our prayer and forgive our sin and heal our land so lord uh, I pray for our brothers and sisters all across San Antonio, South Texas, all across our great state of Texas and across the nation. May your people, Lord, be moved to seek your face and trust in you. And may we see your glorious, merciful, gracious hand at work in our lives and in our land in these days. We pray this in the matchless, peerless name of our beautiful Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, your Son and our Savior. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to, I thought earlier tonight we should take time because, wow, things are uh, things are getting wound up and getting harder. Well, let's continue. We've got a little another segment here to talk about the book of Ezekiel. Folks, I hope that you'll read it. Uh, or go to the website, thebiblelive.com. Go to where it says um, uh, our podcast. And then you can see all of our Bible readings and, and go to the readings that have to do. They're listed there by book and, and, and the date that we read them. And uh, maybe you'd like to do that. Start right now in the book of Ezekiel with us and take time. Uh, you, you know, we've got time these days, right? We're sitting around in our pajamas and <laughs> wondering what we're going to do next. Well, go in to thebiblelive.com and listen to God's Word. Let His Word fill your home uh, where, wherever you are relaxing and and or doing work in the garage or whatever you're doing, listen. Let God's word be a blessing to you there, and listen to these opening chapters. We read chapters one through twenty-two already, so maybe you could do some catching up this week as well, uh, and continue with us as well on through the book of Ezekiel. Um, now, our phone number is two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. I'm still waiting for someone to call and tell us some blessing, some way, some specific way that God has benefited you or blessed you uh, through his word. Uh, we, we, that's one of the things that we were celebrating here in the book of Ezekiel is the power and the glory and the beauty uh, the, of, of, of this great treasure that God has given us of his word. 
uh, kind of taking off from the Psalm 119. 210-340-9585. Give us a call if you will. We'd love to hear from you. Now let's go. We've got to get from chapter 6. We've kind of talked a little bit about up to chapter 6. Now, chapter 6 is the first time we see that phrase, then they will know that I am the Lord. But it's repeated 65 times in Ezekiel, those specific words. And therefore, I think it does truly represent a part of the reason for for Israel's uh, discipline that God had on their lives. A part of the reason for the exile was, was of course, uh, they, had, they, they were so idolatrous. They knew God's laws. They knew God's word. They had experienced God's grace, and yet they walked away from God, and they were rebelling against God. And He had told them in, that they one of the uh, uh, one of the effects of walking away from God would be that they would be taken out of their land. And we see it finally happening here in the time of Meg, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, five eighty six. BC 65 times in the book of Ezekiel he says uh, that God's purpose in, in disciplining Israel is so that they will know then they will know that I am the Lord well let's uh, move on um, chapter 6 is there chapter 7 there is a in chapter 9 there is a slaughter of the idolaters in a vision uh, Ezekiel is taken in a vision to see this God's judgment there uh, on uh, those who were who rebelled against God and disobeying God and rejected God uh, and uh, in idolatry there in Jerusalem, and yet the emphasis is on the people who had the mark on their foreheads that they were not killed. And uh, I think you mentioned that while it goes, Stacy. That the characteristic of those is that they were the ones who wept and, and sighed and, and repented. Uh, because of the sin in their lives and the sin they saw around them in their society, in their culture. And they repented against the idolatry of their own and cleaned up their own lives. And we say they were, they avoided the judgment that fell upon the people there in this vision. So that's, um, that's a message to us as God's people in, in American society and our culture. As we know, the great, huge majority of American citizens don't know the Lord. They haven't come to that point of, of, of bowing the knee, of humbling themselves, of dying to self and knowing Christ. The great majority. And we need to pray for our nation for more and more in this moment uh, of, of our younger generation and, and middle age and older age that more and more would acknowledge God and trust in Him and receive by faith His grace, His mercy as expressed in, in the Savior, in the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and, and receive God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life, and, and then begin to live for the Lord. And, and watch what God will do as, as we, as God's people, humble ourselves. Remember that God judges and deals with nations primarily based upon their the, how they fit into his redemptive plan. The, the great theme of the age in which we are living now is the harvest is the harvest of bringing men and women from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every ethnic group, uh, every gender, every generation into uh, the people of God. And that's the har- that's the time we're living in. I do you think it's a, a, a sweet thing? I mean, it is a, a mark. I mean, there is another, there has always been a distinction, a distinctive characteristic of God's people. And right. 
Um, it kind of brings to mind the mark of in the in the new in the old New Testament. I'm sorry. There's the mark of the beast, but there's also the mark of the believers. Right. Exactly. And 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 of course in, in the Passover, mm-hmm. the the blood on the uh, the Passover, the the blood, mm-hmm. and and of course and also you think of you know in, uh, Ash Wednesday, uh huh, the cross the, on the, the sign on the on the forehead, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and then of course we, they will know that we are Christians. By our love. love, and that we that's, are marked. That's the understanding that I most like about the, this mark of the Christian. Mm-hmm. I think it is love. Mm-hmm. Of all the different, you know, things I've read about what it might be and so on, uh, I think love is. They will know we are Christians by our love for right. each other, right. for our God, for each other, and for the people around us. Yeah. And you think of that distinction between. So you mean you did. The, the mark of, of the beast, you know, we think of that as such an, of course, that's the opposite kind uh-huh, of uh-huh. a mark. And uh, and that mark is, in, at least in the vision and the symbol, is a, is a number. It's mm-hmm. not a name. Mm-hmm. It's not personal. It's not loving, mm-hmm. which, which uh, would imply being mm-hmm. known and knowing. Uh-huh. It's a uh-huh. number versus... Uh, mark of love, which requires a relationship. Relationship, and exactly. so I just think that that's a neat um, juxtaposition of what a mark of a beast would be, which is impersonable, which is a mm. number, not a name, versus mm. Christ's mark on us, which is love. Yeah. Still a great message. Yeah. In the time of Ezekiel and in the times in which we're living as well, it's it's the most important message I think that we can get in these times. Uh, now in chapter ten. Ezekiel Ezekiel sees those same four beings that we saw in chapter 1, remember, at his commissioning, uh, the lion, the ox, the human face, and the eagle. He sees those four creatures again in chapter 10 um, as as the temple Mm -hmm. is being removed, as as God's presence abandons the temple in Israel. The glory of God is removed. What a sad, terrible message that must have been to the people. When, Mm -hmm. as glorious as it was when God's glory came upon the temple and His dedication and how wonderful, and Mm -hmm. and now we see God's glory, His presence, moving from the temple because of the sin. The consequence. One of the great messages of Ezekiel two is this, and the entire. Uh, the entire exile experience is that sin is serious. It, yeah. it has consequences, right. not only in our relationship with God, but it it, it destroys. Right. And that often we don't know what we had until it's gone. Mm. <laughs> and mm. that is, again, yeah. I mean, not to go back to the law, but that just, you know, our emotions and what we want so hard to trust, you know, all get what they want, not all always like what they get. Mm-hmm. And again, why we can lean on God's word yeah. and uh, and that they will know and, and that God understands our understands that there and yeah. over and over again says then they will know that I am the Lord he's not doing it arbitrarily he's doing it as a way to say trust me <laughs> you know the discipline of God we think of it as a negative thing but if you think about the book of Hebrews he said whom the Lord loves he disciplines Absolutely, yeah. and and because yeah. it's not over. They're not going to stay in exile. Right. They will be restored. Right. They will, right. but the, and God is doing it, working in our lives, too, right. to transform and change, yeah. enrich our lives. So if you're being under the discipline of the Lord, the, the most wonderful thing we can do is humble ourselves under his hand, repent, claim by faith that forgiveness that is freely offered in Christ, 
and turn from our sin, and we will see again the hand of blessing, the restoration. And that's one of the great lessons of Ezekiel as well. Let's see here. Let's go on down. Uh, uh, Chapter 11, there is an image that I've been mentioning several times in the book of Jeremiah. The false prophets and the corrupt leaders that were there in Jerusalem, uh, they kept telling the people, oh, you're safe. Don't worry about it. Uh, everything's going to be okay when when Jeremiah and Ezekiel are, are warning the people and, and Isaiah before them and so on, you must repent. You turn away from sin. And they, and even Jeremiah was saying you must humble yourself before the under the discipline of God. And see, there were some people that weren't slaughtered in Jerusalem mm-hmm. by Nebuchadnezzar. They were the ones who surrendered. Mm-hmm. They yielded. They did what Jeremiah had said to do, and they were spared. Uh, but the false and corrupt leaders kept telling them, "Oh, you won't anything bother you because we have the temple here in Jerusalem, and the temple you you're like you're like you're protected by an iron pot. You're like in an iron pot, and nobody it keeps the 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 meat safe in the pot." And, and uh, of course, Jeremiah and Ezekiel tell them, "Yeah, you are in an iron pot, but you're going to get cooked." And uh, and so the false prophets were delivering that false imagery, that false message of hope and, and that God isn't going to discipline, that God isn't really going to expect you to be holy and to love him and to obey him. That reminds me mm. of that story that you, uh, when you talk about your heart and becoming a prison that you had hardened, you're, you're a that you realize you had hardened your heart so much when you were a young boy passed uh-huh. around to oh yeah oh yeah yeah to the point that you realize you were protecting it you yeah, were meaning yeah, to yeah. protect it but while it kept others from getting in you realized you couldn't yeah. get out <laughs> the, 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 what she's referring to is uh, most of you know that I, uh, a child a, a little Apache Indian girl from the reservation down in southern New Mexico uh, became pregnant and went up to the big city of Albuquerque gave birth to this beautiful, bouncing, genius baby boy. And then she abandoned me at birth. I was found by a um, fortune teller, a 50-year-old fortune teller. And then I passed around to 16 different families before I was six years old. And then I was sent to Boys Ranch, Cal Farley's Boys Ranch up in West Texas. I met the Lord when I was eight years old. But I never – I would get close to adults – uh, I had a dorm parents there, Mr. Boatwright and Mr. Carnes and other dorm parents. And then the chaplain there that led me to faith was uh, uh, Wayne Roars. And, and what happened is that, that they would I would get close to these adults as a young child, and then they would leave or you know I'd lose contact. And, and it, it was so painful every time that finally I've told my kids that when I was about 14, 13 or 14, uh, I decided I'm not going to trust another adult. I'm not going to get close to it because it always hurts too much. And I kind of put a barrier around my life that I kept people out. Uh, but the, what she's alluding to, that sooner or later, though, I came to the realization that the same wall that kept other people out kept me trapped inside. Mm-hmm. And so I was trapped in a in a, in a Sort of a prison of selfishness. Every thought was about myself and, and, and fear, so on. And fear. And of course, and fear, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but then, uh, of course, God began to tear down that wall. Right. And uh, I do think that that's, that's sweet that in a way. Good. Well, I think it's sweet in a way because 
a part of us, there's a little bit of a legitimate seeking of safety. Uh-huh. I mean, there was a legitimacy in terms mm-hmm. of why mm-hmm. you were just seeking it in the wrong thing. <laughs> and uh, and I, th- I think that that's so it's understandable that people would be afraid and that would want to find safety. And with the false prophets and the corrupt leaders, what was wrong is they were saying, seek your safety in this and anything other than safety in Christ yep. will end up enslaving you, not freeing you. Let me jump on, on to chapter 12, Stace. While in Babylon, Ezekiel did something. Remember, he's a street preacher. He, is, he dramatizes these things. Uh, he, in one of his dramas that he presented, he publicly packed his bags, got his suitcases all lined up, and he went through a hole in the wall of his house during the night. I guess he called a church meeting in the middle of the night, right? And and, um, and that is exactly the way the king uh, in Jerusalem tried to escape the Babylonians, mm-hmm. escaping in the night in the, very, very interestingly. Interesting. Yeah. Um, One-act play. Zedekiah, he, in chapter 12, he predicts that Zedekiah would be exiled to Babylon but that he would not actually see Babylon, Mm -hmm. which appears to be a contradiction. Mm -hmm. But do you remember what happened to Zedekiah? Mm -hmm. Tell tell our listeners, Stacey, (laughs) what happened to Zedekiah? It's awful. It's a terrible story you don't like to tell, do you? Well, he was blinded. That's right. He was arrested and captured by uh, the name of the... He gives the name of the captain uh, that... The, the controlled and guided the uh, military there, the Babylonian military. But he was captured and taken uh, to Babylon, uh, taken to a different place before, not in Babylon. But then his own children were killed mm-hmm. before his eyes, mm-hmm. and then his eyes were punched out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the last thing he saw mm-hmm. was a terrible then, thing. But then, then they also kept this this prophecy, this prediction. Right. That um, Ezekiel says that he will be taken, that the last king is going to be taken into Babylon, but that he would not see Babylon. Uh, very interesting detail you pick up in the scriptures. Uh, the phrase is used 60, 65 times. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Uh, and, of course, it's a constant reminder to us as God's people here in this nation I, I do sense and feel, and many of our spiritual leaders across the nation, that whom I respect, many of them are talking about God's judgment, God's discipline on, on America has already begun. We've already begun to see difficulties and hardships that should drive us to repent and seek God's face. But, um, but we need to continue that process of repentance and turning. Um, Let's see if there's something else as we move. We're only getting to chapter 12 and 13. Uh, uh, he says, trusting in false prophets. Now, we have a lot of fa- false prophets. Every building that has a cross on it is not a good, healthy church. Every pers- every man that has a collar on or wears a robe or something uh, or puts reverend in front of their name, not everyone is a, a godly, truly uh, a prophet and preacher of God's word. So we need to use our heads and minds, and, and we need to uh, we need to recognize false message, and we need to ignore and not pay attention to. 
That means don't pay, don't listen to them, don't give them ratings, don't give them offerings. We, I mean, we we just need to be more consequent as God's people with what we do, with the resources, with our attention, with our uh, the credibility that we give to people. That's one of the messages as well that comes from the book of Ezekiel. Um, Look at in chapter 14, God says that not even the presence of three great righteous men would stop him from judging Israel with war, famine, beasts, and plagues. Uh, and he, he says, Noah, Daniel, and Job, even if those three great godly men were there, it would not keep me from uh, exercising judgment and, and, and discipline of my people. Uh, so we've got to understand and begin to take seriously what God is saying to us and to his people. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to find any anything else, Stacy, in our outline in our questions. Well, right. When I, and I guess going, you know, from from that going and seeing this as a time of um, seasonal, as a kind of a seasonal, and the uh, um, burying and the raising, or you spoke of a harvest. Mm-hmm. You think of a harvest as a seasonal type thing. And if we're living in a harvest right now, what time in the planting and the farming would you say? I, I, I guess in he talks about a funeral. I mean, he mm-hmm. at the end of this reading, Ezekiel has songs, and he wrote funeral songs, and uh-huh. he would actually have a funeral to demonstrate. Yep. What would you say that is that the sort of the um, is that the burial is is that the re- germination of Israel? In other words, they're not. You know, I guess they kind of speaks of it as if it's a death. Mm-hmm. But isn't that interesting? The, there, yes. the, the interesting, the, the kind of a agricultural view that before there can be a plant, right. it has to die and be planted. Right. And the New Testament brings that and out. And he hints, though, of a tender shoot. Yeah, and so the tender shoot feels like a death. It feels like a burial, but it will give way eventually to new life. New life, new hope Similar in the to, Messiah, course, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Anything you want to say before we say goodnight to the folks? See you next Sunday, maybe? Have a good night. Sit tight. Sit dreamy. (laughs) We'll see you next Sunday here on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. Also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.